0: As you know, Monday is our day to catch up with the Cop Blanche team. And if you saw the show last night, you've probably already guessed which story we're going to talk about today. The Penguins of Antarctica. Now, during my own visit to the ice continent which is now a little over a year ago I spent all of my time inland. I didn't lay eyes on a single one of the penguins which are the sort of signature bird of Antarctica but almost every scientist I spoke to on that trip and since then has mentioned that the penguins are such an important marker of the overall health of Antarctica's ecosystems and that Antarctica itself is such an important marker of our planet's health. Um, Lorenza Eckhart produced and presented last night's Cart segment and I know she heard very much the same from the scientists that she engaged in during, uh, engaged with rather during her recent trip Uh, Lorenzo it's great to have you with us this afternoon thanks for joining us Good, Good afternoon Papa When was your visit? Tell us a little bit about where you went and how you got there so basically the same, I think, as the
1: trip that you undertook um, uh, during your visit. Uh, we touched down at the, the Russian research station that also serves as the logistical hub for um, Ultima Antarctic expeditions, um, which took us uh, over to Antarctica. But when we touched down, we were informed that there were two twin otter airplanes standing ready to take us to this amazing emperor penguin colony that wow. they discovered using uh, satellite imagery, which identified the guano on the ice. Um, and we were accompanied by Professor Peter Ryan from UCT, an ornithologist and yeah. uh, an, an insane um, enthusiast. I've never seen such a such a, a, a. I mean, obviously he's he's visited quite a few of these these colonies, but his his um, enthusiasm was was infectious. Um, so we took, uh, I think it was a an hour flight. We touched down. We saw the the penguins uh, on the ice and. Yeah, it was just an incredible experience to be able to we, we didn't directly interact with them but we certainly observed them and the behavior and, and that was certainly life-changing
0: lorenza you didn't interact with them for very good reason you actively discouraged from getting too close to the birds this is a very important um, any any emperor penguin colony is important but this one is a very big one that you were looking at and um obviously you don't want uh mankind influencing them any more than our behavior is already doing, because sadly, this bird is particularly um, vulnerable to the impact of climate change, and our own role has to be acknowledged in that process. Tell us a little bit more about what you and uh, Professor Ryan discussed about how the emperor penguins are being affected by the changing climate.
1: Certainly, Papa, we we also took measures to prevent um, any possible spread of bird flu, um to to these colonies we disinfected our boots um and and we had to walk quite a far um distance to get to get to the we 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 landed the plane very far from from the colony, not to disturb them um and as you've said we we weren't allowed to get too close because they don't view us as predators and they are very curious i mean I think given the chance they would come up right right to us, mm. um, and we could touch them if we wanted to, but obviously we, we didn't do that. But I think the most concerning aspect of, of the story and, and being there and talking to Professor Peter Ryan was um, a global uh, climate change and the, the, the loss and the destruction of the sea ice. These are the only penguins that are able to, to breed on the ice um, they breed in the Antarctic winter. They are extremely um, well adapted to that climate. So any 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 small change to the habitats will will be destructive. And and as Peter Ryan said in, in the insert last night, um, in the next hundred years we might not have any emperor penguins left, which is which is very sad.
0: 250,000 breeding pairs sounds like a lot, but Lorenza, as you've said, those numbers are dwindling. We've already seen reports of catastrophic failure of breeding colonies in the last couple of years because of the loss of sea ice. My understanding is that the level that was recorded in September last year was the lowest that it's ever been recorded at. Now, that sea ice obviously shifts and chains Changes every year as part of its natural cycle. But you had the opportunity to speak to scientists who've been going to this part of the world over and over again for twenty years and more. What do they tell you about what they've observed in that time? And and you know, with their naked eye, and in terms of what the data is telling them.
1: Yes, we just spoke to glaciologist Dr. Peter Sooners, who's been visiting Antarctica for. Uh, more than two decades, and he said that during his first visit, he came up to an ice wall and was afraid to get too close to this ice wall for fear of ice falling into the water or actually even um, falling onto the ship. Um, when he returned recently to that same ice wall, it treated so much that he, he barely could see it. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and, and this is the, the, the concern and the issue that we have with reporting on climate change, and when we discuss these issues, it, it doesn't happen overnight. And with news urgency and all of that, you know, we, we, we don't realize how big the problem is until it literally stares us in the face and climate change it it doesn't stare us in the face as it will have in the next uh, coming decades I mean the penguin colonies are are stable they are dwindling but they are stable so if you look at a time span of 100 years it's not something that our generation or perhaps the next might even um, experience and I think this is what makes it such a, a, a challenging issue to report on. Now, I think there's a, a growing hopelessness of me, just ordinary people feeling that if, even if I do my part, is that enough? We hear about billionaires flying around in private jets and governments not doing their part, even though they've signed on to the COP agreements and the various other treaties. Um, and, and, and it's just, you know, I, I really set out to tell a story of scientists who, away from the politics, away from the divisive issues that come along with climate change have made this their life work mm. and just to tell me you know, what, what do you see what have you seen over the past few decades and what can we expect in the coming decades and it might not be a burning issue right now but it certainly is going to be one for our children and our grandkids.
0: Lorenzo, one of those other scientists we haven't mentioned whose work uh, I found utterly fascinating was Dr. Dale Anderson, who doesn't just look at the ice itself, he looks underneath the ice and regularly dives into Lake Unterseer, which is a lake that is... Covered in a thick layer of ice um, almost all year round, and which is, you know, as you described, it a very sort of sealed off kind of ecosystem. It's it's um, it's got this ice layer on top, protecting it from things from the outside world and the outside air. And then he dives into this pristine, clear water underneath that ice. To, to look for what and to look at what? Tell us a little bit more about what he's looking for. Why does a man keep coming back year after year to dive through a hole into the, into the ice underneath Antarctica?
1: Well, Papa, well, how fascinating. And firstly, yeah. I just have to say this unfortunately didn't make it into the insert, but he was telling us that when they arrive at their camp after the months long Antarctic winter, and they have to spend almost a week just setting up the basic camp. Getting their um, sleeping arrangements sorted, making sure that within a few days they they have hot water to prepare food. So it is it's it's, it's um, very rudimentary. Um, that that's really roughing it. Um, that what him and his team are, are willing to go through to to do their research. And he's also been to the Antarctic. um he, he jokes that his wife says to him, "This must be your last season, surely." But he just keeps on going mm-hmm. back. Well, what he looks at underneath the the, the sea or the the, uh, the frozen lake, like Untersee. I'm not exactly sure it's, it's, it's microbial microorganisms, things that you wouldn't find um, anywhere else on, on planet Earth just because of the unique habitat. It is sealed off. It's not disturbed um, by outside air or oxygen or any kind of other uh, uh, microorganisms. And this gives them an, an insight into uh, the possibility of life on other planets. I mean, it is just so harsh the conditions underneath like intersea yeah. that if these micro organisms can survive there um, we might see something similar on the uh, surface of Mars or Jupiter's rings or, or wherever so I mean he's looking at, at the future of life, uh, possible life on, on other planets but uh, we're not there yet unfortunately <laughs>
0: Well, Lorenzo, thank you. I want to thank you for opening a window into their lives for us. It's a place which I think by now our listeners have gathered. I find utterly fascinating, but so do many others and what it can teach us about where we are right now and where we're heading as a planet, as well as now potentially beyond this planet is, is absolutely fascinating and continues to be a source of curiosity for many. So thank you for bringing us that story with its gorgeous visuals last night and shining a bit of a spotlight onto the work that these scientists are doing. We really appreciate you're joining us today as well thank you so much you too lorenza eckhart the producer and presenter of that segment and if you didn't see it on carte blanche last night do you remember if you are a dstv subscriber uh, you can find it on catch up otherwise give it a few days and generally the segments reach the carte blanche website by the middle of the week